Welcome today. If you're new, I'm uh, glad that you're joining us. My name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here at Ridge Church and uh, just glad that you're part of uh, our conversation today. Uh, we are in the middle of a series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so that means that we have begun each of this series by reading the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so I'm going to read it out loud. I want to invite you either just listen or read along with me. Uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's read the Lord's Prayer. It goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, today in this series, we are come uh, to the second part of this line about forgiveness. It's, it's this line, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And if you weren't here last week, you should go back and listen to, to the conversation we had last week. It's about the first part of this line, about how God grants us forgiveness. And so today we're going to pick up the second part of that, about about how it is that we are to forgive others. And to do that, I want to begin by telling you about this story that I read. In the year 1984, a young lady named Jennifer Thompson was uh, at home in her apartment when a man broke in, held a knife to her throat, and he raped her. And that would have, could have been the end for uh, Jennifer Thompson, but she's a very determined lady. And even in the midst of that ordeal, she studied the face of her attacker carefully. She's looking for tattoos and scars and, and just anything so that if she were to survive that attack, that she could identify that man and bring him to justice for the kind of evil that he did to her. That's what happened. She survived that attack and she ended up uh, at the police station. And from a series of police photos, she very clearly identified the man. And then... He appeared in a, in a police lineup, and again, she easily picked him out of the lineup. And uh, then, with incredible courage, she went to court, and she testified before court about what he had done to her, and he was sentenced. He was sentenced to a lifetime in prison. His name was Ronald Cotton. And so this brave, determined lady kind of moved past this terrible experience in her life and moved on, except for the unbelievably two years later, they granted Ronald Cotton a second trial. And so she had to go through the whole process again. And this time the defense introduced another potential uh, suspect into the case. And she looked and she swore she'd never seen that man. And she identified again that Ronald Cotton was the one who had raped her. And again, they convicted him and sent him to a lifetime in prison. And after that, her life moved on and she ended up moving away from that town and, and she ended up having triplets and, and it all was going good until about 11 years later, the prosecutor came and, and said, would you help us? Would you, would you just assist us to put this thing to bed? Would you give us some DNA so that we can just settle this thing? And she was glad to. She was confident that this would finally settle this whole nightmare for her. And so she gave the DNA and and that was that, except for the, a number of weeks later, the prosecutor and a detective came to her door. And they said, the DNA that you gave us, along with the other evidence, the, the other DNA, proves decisively that Ronald Cotton, the man that has been in prison for the last 11 years, is not the man that raped you. Instead, it's another man, a man named Bobby Poole, who turned out to be the suspect that had been introduced to her at the second trial that she swore she had never met never seen before in her life. And as you can imagine, that information devastated Jennifer. 
I mean, not only was she dealing with all of the baggage of the initial attack that she experienced, but now she carried this incredible guilt and the shame that she had sent this innocent man to prison for 11 years. You know, when, when, when we get talking about this whole area of forgiveness, the fact of the matter is it's usually pretty complex, pretty complicated, isn't it? I mean, look at this lady's situation. It's, it's complicated. It's difficult. And, and, and we all have that in our own world as well. It, rarely when it comes to forgiveness is it simple, clear-cut, black and white. There's all sorts of different factors and, and, and emotions and events that kind of roll into it. And, and sometimes when we get talking about like these really hard experiences in our life where, where forgiveness is a potential opportunity, it just seems impossible. It just seems that there's just so much hurt and so much pain and so much sort of twisted things in there that we could never untie that mess. And yet, and yet the fact of the matter is it's not impossible. Not when we look to Jesus. Not when we rest in him. Not, not when we put our trust and our hope in him and follow his guidance. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. He both gives us incredible wisdom for, for how to, to manage and to, to deal with the minefield of these kinds of broken relationships in our life. But he's also the mighty God who can make things happen so that we can find healing and hope and, and restoration in our lives. You know, for the story of, of, of this lady, for Jennifer Thompson, you know, two, two years after she learned that Ronald Cotton was innocent and, and, and that Bobby Poole was the guilty person. I mean, she still bore this incredible guilt for what happened. And I mean, she couldn't, she, she just bore the shame everywhere. And she, she couldn't imagine that she had taken 11 years from this man's life, 11 years apart from his family. And she wondered if he hated her as much as she hated herself for what she had done. She cried all the time until one day, one day everything changed. She said, that's it. She stopped crying. She said, I know what I need to do. And a couple of weeks later, she drove the 50 miles back to the, the, the town where the whole thing had happened. And she parked outside of a local church and she prayed. She prayed for courage. And then she walked in and, and sat down in front of the man that she had falsely accused and seen sent to prison for so many years. And she said to him, I'm so sorry. She said, if I told you every day how sorry I was, it wouldn't, it wouldn't come close to communicating how very deeply sorry I am for what I did to you. And Ronald Cotton sat quietly for a couple of minutes and he said, I'm not mad. He says, I, I've never been mad at you. I just wanted you to have a good life. And while their families waited out in the pace, sort of nervously in the parking lot, Jennifer Thompson and Ronald Cotton spoke for about two hours. They talked about the pitfalls of memory and the, the power of faith and, and the amazing thing that DNA could do. And, and they talked about Bobby Poole and, and how they'd both been a victim of what he had done in their life. And, and then just at dusk, as it was uh, just the sun was setting, uh, they, they came out and with their families weeping, they embraced in the parking lot and, uh, and they'd forgiven. He, he'd forgiven her and it's this incredible story. And the, and the question is, how is it possible for Ronald Cotton to forgive Jennifer Thompson for taking away 11 years in the prime of his life? How, how, how could he do that? Well, it turns out that, well, he was in prison for a crime that he didn't commit, that he was so filled with anger and hatred towards Bobby Poole, who happened to be in prison for another crime, that he literally 
got a piece of metal, turned it into a, a shiv, into a, a kind of a knife, and determined that he was going to kill Bobby Poole. But his dad, he, he talked to his dad about it, and his dad pleaded with him not to do it. He said, if you do it, you will become just like the man that you hate. And instead, his dad begged him to, to throw himself upon Jesus, to put his trust in Christ. And that's what he did. He turned to Christ, and, and what he found in Christ was, was a gentleness and a love and a forgiveness that, that he couldn't find anywhere else. It changed his life. And it was because then of what Jesus had done for him that when he sat across from Jennifer Thompson that he was able to forgive her for what it is that she had done to him. It's a powerful thing. Forgiveness is an incredibly beautiful thing. But it isn't easy. It is, it is profoundly life-changing. It is radically freeing. It is, the most, it is the, one of the most powerful acts that one human can do for another human being. But it is not easy. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about what, what it means for us to forgive. As we talked about last week, there's a lot of confusion in our world and frankly among many Christians about what forgiveness actually is and what it isn't. And so what Jesus teaches us in this prayer is that we are to pray that God would forgive our sins in the same way that we forgive others. In fact, this is the, this is the line that he teaches us again. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That word as is this key idea. In the same way, in, in the like way, in the same way that God has forgiven us, that's how we are to forgive others. So, so that becomes the model and the pattern for us when it comes to to how we should forgive others. And, and so this is the same point. Uh, this is a key point that we touched on last week, and it's the place where we need to start this week, and that's this, that God expects those whom he has forgiven, you and I, the, those who are Christians, he expects, he expects Christians to forgive in the same way that he has forgiven us. And so it's important then that we look carefully at how God has forgiven us because that's the pattern, that's the model. And that's what we did last week. And again, if you missed last week, you should go back and, and listen to it. But, but here's what we found about how God forgives us. First of all, his forgiveness is gracious but not free. It was incredibly costly. The, the price that Jesus paid on the cross for our sins was incredibly great. But then God in turn graciously offers forgiveness to whoever would receive it. But then secondly, we talked about this. God's forgiveness is conditional. It's not automatic, but only for those who repent and believe. Only for those who accept this gift of, uh, of forgiveness that he gladly offers. But you have to accept it. Thirdly, the forgiveness that God offers us is a commitment. We talked about this. When God forgives you, you are forgiven. He doesn't go back and rehash it and hold it against you again. It's done. Then fourth, we talked about uh, true, true forgiveness from God uh, leads to reconciliation. God's forgiveness leads to reconciliation, to a restored relationship with God. That's why he forgives us, so we can be restored to him. And finally, we said God's forgiveness doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for your sins. Those consequences are not to punish us, but they are to train us in righteousness. So if that's what forgiveness is, if, if that's how God forgives us, then that becomes the pattern for us. So now we want to go back and walk through those points and apply them in the same way that God forgives us to the way that we forgive the people around us. So here we go. Number one, 
When you forgive others, that forgiveness of others is gracious. If you choose to forgive someone, it will cost you. In essence, you have to kind of absorb into yourself the pain and the suffering that you endured because of their offense against you. You can't try to extract from them that same cost. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He, he took all of the cost and didn't try to extract it from us. It's what Ronald Cotton did with Jennifer Thompson. He didn't say, I spent 11 years in prison, now you must. Instead, he absorbed 11 years of lost life. It's a very expensive gift of forgiveness. But that's what forgiveness is. It's expensive, but it's incredibly, deeply gracious act to do. But then secondly, true biblical forgiveness of others is conditional. It's not automatic. Remember, we're to forgive in the same way that God forgives us. And God doesn't forgive everyone automatically, only those who are repentant. Of course, God offers forgiveness graciously to any who ask. He's willing to forgive all who, who seek to be forgiven, but he doesn't just automatically forgive everyone whether or not they ask for forgiveness. And Jesus teaches us the same thing. He teaches it to his disciples, to, to those of us who are followers of him. Here's what he says in Luke 17. He says this, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if... If they, what? If they repent. He says, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, then you must forgive them. See, Jesus teaches us that we should forgive, that we have to forgive, but not just automatically everyone for anything that they've done, whether they repent or not, but rather only those who actually repent. And biblically speaking, repentance isn't just feeling sorry. Repentance is a, is a desire, a willingness to change how you act and how you think. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a change in an attitude. And that's what God expects of us when it comes to repentance, isn't it? And so that's a condition for us to forgive others. The problem is we struggle with that idea because of because really of a book that was written in 1984 by a man named Louis Smedes. Louis Smedes wrote this book called Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts We Don't Deserve. And it was an instant bestseller. Sold hundreds of thousands of copies. All about forgiving and forgetting. The only problem is, is it doesn't teach a biblical understanding of forgiveness. The premise of, of Smedes' argument is that forgiveness is primarily about healing yourself from the hate and the bitterness that might grow in your heart if you don't choose to forgive. And so what he taught was that, that forgiveness was a private and a personal thing, something that you just did in your own heart. And it was a therapeutic thing. It was something that you did so that you would feel better for yourself, which meant that therefore you should automatically and fully forgive anyone and everyone for every possible offense that they committed against you. It is what we would call therapeutic forgiveness. And it sounds, it sounds good. In fact, it's quite popular. Even today, in the thinking of many people, in the thinking of many Christians, the problem is that it isn't a biblical understanding of what forgiveness is. The, 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 it isn't the way that God forgives, and therefore it isn't how we ought to forgive. 
Chris Bronze in his really excellent book called Unpacking Forgiveness, a, just a, a brilliant book if you want to go deeper on this. He, he explains the difference between these two ideas of, of forgiveness, this therapeutic forgiveness and this the biblical idea of forgiveness. And, and I just want to, to compare those for you so that you begin to understand how different they are. Therapeutic forgiveness says this, forgiveness is a feeling. It's ceasing to feel resentment or bitterness. That's what it would say forgiveness is. Biblical forgiveness, on the other hand, is a commitment to pardon the person who has offended you. Therapeutic forgiveness is a private or individual thing. It is primarily an act that goes on within an individual's heart uh, or, or mind. They, they just do it quietly in their own heart mind. But biblical forgiveness is something that happens between two parties. Therapeutic forgiveness is unconditional. It should be granted regardless whether or not the offender is repentant. But biblical forgiveness is conditional upon that person actually repenting. Therapeutic forgiveness is motivated primarily by self-interest. You should forgive others for your own sake so that you don't feel bitterness. But, but a biblical forgiveness is motivated by love for your neighbor and love for God. And it's for God's glory and for your joy. That's the motivation for it. And therapeutic forgiveness is a forgiveness that can happen apart from reconciliation. You don't have to have any kind of renewed relationship with that person if you do therapeutic forgiveness. But biblical forgiveness is inextricably connected to reconciliation. You can't actually forgive unless there is this move towards reconciling your relationship with them. So, so when you lay it out like that, you see that there is huge differences between what Smeed's taught and what the Bible teaches us about what genuine, true forgiveness is all about. And if you misunderstand that, if you hold what Smeed's taught, there are a number of dangers that come to, to thinking of forgiveness in a wrong kind of a way. And, and let me list again from Chris Braun's a, a couple of these. Therapeutic forgiveness distorts people's understanding of true biblical forgiveness. Therapeutic forgiveness cheapens what forgiveness is all about. T take, for instance, if, if two people robbed you, they robbed your home, they took things that were not only incredibly valuable to you, but deeply sentimental, of deeply sentimental value. They left you feeling, you know, kind of exposed and unsafe in your own home. And, and after the robbery, one of those two people is convicted of what they did and they, and they repent and they come back in deep sorrow and repentance and they change their ways. And the other isn't repentant at all. The other laughs about it and, and celebrates it and, and thinks it's a wonderful thing and plans to do it again. Now, if you practice therapeutic forgiveness, you forgive them both. Which cheapens the courage and the, and the repentance of the one who actually came and, and was genuinely repentant to you. And it also cheapens your own forgiveness because, because the cost of, of absorbing that and doing that for them, you say, oh, yeah, same for them too. And, and so it distorts what the Bible actually teaches about what true, genuine repentance and forgiveness is all about. It's the first danger. But then secondly, therapeutic forgiveness results in a wrong understanding of God's forgiveness to us. You see, when we begin to assume that all Christians must automatically forgive everyone for everything that they have done, 
It's easy to begin to assume that therefore God must also automatically and completely forgive everyone for everything that they've done, whether it's stealing a candy bar from the corner store or it's genocide and the killing of thousands of people. And that's simply not how God operates. God doesn't operate outside of genuine repentance. And then he offers forgiveness. And the danger is that there are many people who think that they are Christians, even though they've never repented and never believed, because they've got this wrong understanding of that God just forgives everyone. He just thinks it's all okay. In fact, the, the famous German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this cheap grace. He offering forgiveness without repentance. Here's the third reason why there's a danger in that kind of thinking. Therapeutic forgiveness discourages healing in Christian communities. You know, the, the idea of, of, of therapeutic forgiveness is this idea that I can privately and, and personally just forgive an individual, but I don't actually have to go and be reconciled to them. I, I don't have to renew and restore that relationship, which means that the people who have been offended by others can come into different doors into the church and sit on opposite sides of the of the of the you know, of the, of the auditorium and never talk to one another. But they think, oh, I've forgiven that person. But that relationship never returns. It never grows again. And they miss what, what forgiveness is meant to do, which is to restore and renew and make a place for that relationship to, be, to grow back into a new and a rich and a beautiful thing. And then finally, therapeutic forgiveness suggests that some people even need to forgive God. You know, sometimes when we suffer incredible pain and incredible hurt in our lives, so much pain that, you know, we're tempted to begin to blame God, to become angry at God, to, to begin to call him out and say, God, this is your fault. How dare you? And the danger is that if we think that that, that anger might lead to bitterness in our heart, we can begin to think like, you know, I don't want bitterness in my heart. Maybe I need to forgive God. In fact, Louis Smeets himself ended up going this far. Here, here's what he writes. He says, would it bother God too much if we found our peace by forgiving him for the wrongs we suffer? What if we found a way of forgiving him without blaming him? A special sort of forgiving for a special sort of relationship. Would he mind? Would God mind? You bet he would mind. He would totally mind. You know why? Because God is utterly, utterly holy and perfect. He's never done anything wrong ever in, in all of eternity. It's impossible for God because of who he is. And so when people say they forgive God, there's this very clear implication that somehow God has done something wrong. And that simply is never the case. You know, when we, when we suffer, when we hurt, you know, we, we struggle with that. But the fact of the matter is the suffering that we endure in this life is because of the humanity's rebellion against God. And God, God is utterly sovereign over everything that happens. He's utterly in control of it, but he is not morally at fault for the hurt and the brokenness and the heartache in our life. And therefore, for us to somehow come to the place where we think that we ought to forgive God for what he has done, oh, that's highly inappropriate. That, that's, just, that, that's just not the right thing for us to do. That's the danger of that kind of thinking. And yet, this idea, I mean, you can understand. You can understand why it's popular in our, in our world these days. It's, it's simple to understand. It's simple, more simple in many cases than biblical, you know, forgiveness to do. 
But the fact of the matter is we aren't called to do what is simple. We're called to do what Jesus calls us to do, even if it's hard. We're called to follow the example of God as, as Jesus teaches in this prayer, which means that the true, genuine, biblical forgiveness requires repentance, which means that it is conditional. And this is the second way that our forgiveness of others parallels the forgiveness that God shows to us. Okay, here's the third way. Forgiving others is a commitment. And we talked about this last week. When, when God forgives you, you are forgiven. He makes a commitment to you. It is a legal commitment. It's, we use the word justified. He, he's like, you are forgiven. I don't bring that up again. I, I don't go back to that. You're good. And if you're going to forgive in the same way that God forgave you, you also make a commitment when you forgive that person. You, you commit that you're not going to dwell on that incident anymore. You're going to let it go. You commit that you're not going to bring that incident up again. So the next time you're in a fight, you're not, you know, flipping through your memory bank and you're saying, remember when you did that last time? No, no, not if you've forgiven them. You can still argue with them about all kinds of things, but that's off the table. Why? Because you've forgiven them. You make that commitment. It also means that you commit, you're not going to talk to others about it. You're not going to say, I, I forgive you, but I'm going to rehash this with everyone else in my world multiple times as a kind of way of going around your back and still causing you pain. And if you forgive, you make a commitment that you're not going to let this stand between you and hinder your relationship with that person. Those, those are significant commitments to make. But that's the kind of commitment that God makes to us when he forgives us. And we're called to forgive in the same way that he forgives us. Okay, that's the next point. Here, here's the one after that. The next part of forgiveness when it comes to God's forgiving us is that it's always with the intention that there's reconciliation. The Bible never speaks about God's forgiveness of us without speaking also of the idea of us being reconciled to him, back into a relationship with him. And so that means the same for us. Forgiving others is the beginning of reconciliation. The goal, the, the purpose, the reason why you would forgive someone is so that you can begin the process of restoring that relationship. And again, this is one of the problems with the therapeutic forgiveness. If, the assumption there is that you can forgive someone without ever having to talk to them again. But that isn't biblical forgiveness. Now, that, that restored, renewed relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be exactly the same as it was before whatever the offense was. In fact, in some cases, it's important that it doesn't become exactly the same. It should be different. But nevertheless, what you're saying is that I am opening the door. I am I am removing the obstacles that are there so that we can begin the process of rebuilding this relationship. Maybe in a different kind of a way, maybe hopefully better and stronger and wiser, but nevertheless, true genuine forgiveness allows for the beginning of reconciliation with that person. And then finally, this one. Forgiving others is the beginning. Oh, sorry, I talked about that one. Then finally, uh, this one, forgiving others does not mean that there aren't consequences for their sins. And we talked about this last week when we talked about the story of David and Bathsheba. I mean, 
David sinned in incredibly wicked ways against both Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah. And when he was confronted, he repented so deeply. And God fully forgave him. And yet there were still consequences that flowed from that sin in his life. And when you forgive someone, you make a way for you to restore that relationship again. But that doesn't mean that there still aren't consequences in their life. You know, if, if you had a, 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 a relationship with someone and they deeply broke your trust in a deep way. I mean, when you, when you forgive them, you remove the obstacles so that you can begin to rebuild that relationship. But it doesn't mean that you should automatically give them, again, all of the trust that they had before they did that to you. You should allow them to experience the, the consequences of very slowly and very carefully rebuilding that trust one day at a time over however long it takes. And that's okay. It's part of the process of forgiveness. Or if they've committed a crime, if they've been violent towards you or your children, you know, to forgive them is to say, I'm not going to hold that against you. It's to say that I'm going to remove the obstacles so that we can renew our relationship, but your relationship with that person is going to be different. And on top of that, there should still be consequences for what they did. There should still be charges laid and sentences handed out and prison times served. Why? Not because you haven't forgiven them. This is a biblical picture of forgiveness, but because it is for their benefit. It is for their training. It is for what the writer of Hebrews talks about, their, their training in so that they might receive a harvest of righteousness and experience peace in their life. That's what true forgiveness looks like. That, that's forgiveness modeled on what God has done for us. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray that as God has forgiven us, we also would forgive those around us. But just before we end our conversation, I want to I circle back to to a question that for many people will come up and that's this, well, what, what if someone then refuses to repent? What, what do I do then? What does that look like? Well, it's a couple of things. First of all, if, if they don't know that they've offended you, if they don't know that they have hurt you and you don't tell them, that's kind of on you. They can't repent for something that they're not aware that they did to you. So if that's an issue in your life, if it's broken the relationship between you and them, and they don't realize it and they don't understand it, then it's on you to have the courage to go to them and say, can we sit down? Can I tell you? You know what you did? Maybe you didn't mean to, but it really hurt me. And I just got to talk it through. And chances are they're going to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. And, and, and that repentance will happen right there and forgiveness. And away you go. So if they don't know, it's on you to, to know, to let them know, to, to pursue that. On the other hand, if it's very clear that what they did was deeply sinful and wrong towards you, and yet they, they don't repent. They don't come to you. The question is, well, and you're not supposed to automatically forgive them. What about the, the bitterness in your heart? Like, 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 what do you do with this anger, this hurt in your life? Well, here the Bible addresses that as well. The Apostle Paul, writing near the end of the, the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, he, he writes this. He says this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Apostle Paul says, if they aren't repentant, then you leave them in the Lord's hand for him to deal with them. And in fact, 
Paul himself practices this. He, later in a, a letter to his friend and his protege, Timothy, this is what he writes. He says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. There is no record anywhere in the scriptures that Alexander ever repented for the incredible harm that he did to the Apostle Paul. And nor does Paul say, you know, he did me great harm, but I know I should forgive him, so I'm just going to forgive him even though he has not repented. That's not what Paul does at all. But nor is Paul bitter. He's not like, oh, this guy is tearing me apart. And nor does Paul try to take revenge into his own hand. You know what he does? He warns Timothy. He says, Timothy, and you're dealing with this guy, you be wise, you, you be on your guard. And then he says, and everything else that he's done, I leave it in God's hands for God to deal with, for him to repay, for him to avenge. See, this is the beauty of putting your trust in a good and a sovereign and a just God. You see, if somebody, if somebody has hurt you deeply, they don't repent, one of the options that you have is to seek revenge yourself. You can do that. You know, if you've ever sort of played that out in your mind or in real life, hopefully not in real life, but, but you know if you ever played out in your mind to the end that that's a zero-sum game. In the end, no one wins. I mean, you know, you start to say, well, they did this to me. I could do that to them. Then you think, but they would probably retaliate by doing this to me, which would force me to retaliate and do that to them. And, and if you take that to its ultimate conclusion, what you have is both of your lives as a barren wasteland of ruin. No one wins. It's, it's a zero-sum game. But it is an option. The second option is to simply be bitter. To simply say they wouldn't repent. And as a result, you, that, that, that anger and that hurt lodges deep in your heart and it wrecks your health, and it rots your soul. It is an option that many Christians and people in general unfortunately choose. It's a terrible option, but it is an option. The third option is to choose the biblical way. To say to yourself, if they repent, if they genuinely repent, I, because of what Jesus has done for me, as hard as it is, I will be willing to forgive them. But if they don't, if they don't, then, then I'm not going to become bitter. Instead, I am going to rest in the sovereign hand of a good and just God. I am going to allow him in his way, in his timing, not my way, not my timing, in his way, in his timing, to repay them for the evil that they visited on me, to avenge them for what they have done for me. And that allows you to stay out of the whole revenge business, but it also frees you from bitterness. It's not up to you now. You know that because God is faithful and true, if they don't repent, that he will see that justice is done. And that's a beautiful thing. And therefore, you can move on with your life. That's, that's biblical. That, that's the beauty of trusting in a good and sovereign God. The man who raped uh, Jennifer Thompson, Bobby Poole, he never repented. At least as far as I'm aware, he never repented. Which meant that in Jennifer's case, she didn't have to forgive him. Instead, she left him without bitterness in the hands of a sovereign God and say, God, you're to deal with in your way and your time. On the other hand, when Jennifer realized the, the, the wrong that she had done towards Ronald Cotton, 
though it took her some time. She took courage. She, she, one day she stopped crying and she knew what she needed to do. And she went and she met with this man face to face and she apologized. And she repented deeply for what she had done, even though it hadn't been intentional. She said, I'm so sorry. And because of what Jesus had done in his life, he was able to forgive her. And the, the relationship utterly changed and God began this process of restoring in their lives. And it's this beautiful thing in their life and between them. And so the question for you today, the question for you today is, is, who in your world do you need to go and repent to? Who is it that you have offended or you have sinned against? Who is it that you have hurt deeply? And you need to go and you need to repent and say, I am sorry. Full stop. I take full responsibility for what it is that I did and I repent. You know, to do that would take great courage, great courage on your part. But boy, it brings freedom and healing and wholeness back into your life in a part that's no doubt causing a lot of trouble. If God brings someone to your mind right now, you need to commit to do that today, to send the text right after we're done today. To, to set up a meeting, to go in person as hard as it is and to say, I want to apologize and I want to repent for what I've done. And the other question is this. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive in your life the way that God teaches us to forgive? Who is it that if they come to, re to you to repent or if they have already expressed their sorrow and their repentance to you, who is it that you need to say, I'm going to forgive the way that God does. You know, that's not easy to either. That takes incredible courage too. C.S. Lewis says this, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until he or she has someone that they have to forgive. Then it gets a lot harder. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray about it. To pray, God, just as you've forgiven me, may I also forgive those who have harmed me, who, who owe a debt to me. And so pray about it. And ask God for the strength and for the courage to forgive in the same way that God has forgiven you. But if you do, oh, if you, if you do what Jesus teaches you to do here, oh, the freedom and the joy and the opportunity for a renewed and restored relationship and the glory that goes to God is such a beautiful thing. I mean, this is what forgiveness is. It's so beautiful. And it's why Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for it. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray right now. Well, God, our Heavenly Father, this whole area of forgiveness is so real. It's so, so close to home to us. It's so connected in so many ways to deep pain and to hurt and to sorrow and to brokenness in our lives. And yet, God, in your grace, you've given us a tool and a, and a roadmap, a roadmap to genuine biblical forgiveness. God, would you grant us the courage and the willingness to follow your example, to live in light of the incredible grace you poured out to us, and God, to genuinely forgive, to genuinely forgive those who are seeking repentance. And God, where there are those in our lives who are not repentant, God, may we be filled with grace towards them. May we treat them with kindness but God, may we rest in the knowledge that it is yours to avenge. 
it is yours to, to repay. And that you are a, not only a, a loving God, but you are a just and a, and a sovereign God. And that you can and that you will and that you do see that justice is done. That's why we trust you, God. That's why we put our hope in you. So God, would we, would we find that in you in this day? God, in whatever the pains and hurts and brokenness in our life, would we live in light of what you teach us in your word today, in light of what Jesus teaches us, that you might receive the glory and that, God, we might know joy and freedom and new life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.